1: You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Christina Henry, author of the brand new novel, Good Girls Don't Die. You may recognize Christina's name from a number of her New York Times and national bestselling novels like The Girl in Red, Lost Boy, Alice... Red Queen, and so, so many others. I adored her book from a few years ago, Horseman. She writes just phenomenal stories and ones that are going to keep you on the edge of your seat for a variety of reasons. Uh, Good Girls Don't Die is a book that during this discussion you'll find we talk about very, very little. And there is a very specific reason. It is a super, super twisty thriller. It's tells the story of three different women and they find themselves trapped inside basically stories that aren't their own. Uh, They wake up in completely foreign and strange situations and have to figure out why they are all in the situations that they're in. And that's kind of all I want to tell you about it. You have to read this book. You're going to absolutely love it. But again, we keep the discussion of the plot very, very minimal because this particular story is one that you just sort of want to go into blind what we do spend a lot of time talking about is Christina's love for film, especially samurai movies. And this is why I love doing this podcast. A lot of times I have discussions with authors about stuff that I do know a little bit about or a fair amount about, uh, depending on what the discussion is. I do not have a lot of experience watching samurai movies, so this was very, very educational for me. Um, But we also got to nerd out about some shared passions about different uh, stories and movies, uh, including The Iron Giant near the end of the conversation, which I absolutely love. Uh, We had a blast. I have gotten to interview Christina a few times in the past, but it had been a while, so it was really, really nice to catch up. Uh, Because we talk so little about the book, I'm going to give you a book recommendation that is also another Christina Henry book. It is Near the Bone. Uh, Near the Bone is equal parts thriller, mystery, and horror. I freaking loved this book. It tells the story of a woman trapped on a mountain as she tries to survive more than one type of monster. You will be holding your breath the entire time. It can be a challenging read, trigger warning for domestic abuse and violence towards women to be sure, Uh, but it is a story that I think is worth reading and I just really, really love how she handles the entire story. That's Near the Bone. That is also by Christina Henry. And again, I'm recommending that book as part of today's discussion because we talk so little about her new book, Good Girls Don't Die, but I cannot recommend it enough. It is so wonderful. If you would like to get a hold of me, you can always find me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at Passions and Prologues. Had a little bit of fun on TikTok earlier this week, talking about an experience I had that many of you may have had as well, going to a very bad eye doctor. Um, But yeah, you can also email me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. I will be happy to give you some book recommendations. Okay, that is all the housekeeping. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Christina Henry, author of Good Girls Don't Die, on passions and prologues. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. All right, Christina. What is something you are super passionate about that you would like to discuss today?
0: Well, I'm a big, big movie lover. I actually, um, in normal times when I'm not extremely super busy, I actually do a movie podcast with my friends called TMI Confessionals of the Nerd Kind, where we just talk about different movies that we like. Um, but I think, I think after horror movies, my favorite genre would be samurai movies
1: mm-hmm. um first off confessions of a nerd kind just phenomenal <laughs> really great work by you all great job um, what was your do you remember like your introduction to samurai movies in general we we just got so we'll we'll do the samurai stuff because full disclosure people are listening and we are recording this on november 2nd so it just got done sort of being horror season so let's let's do the samurai stuff so do you remember when you had your introduction to samurai movies
0: Um, I think like a lot of people, you know, I saw, I grew up in upstate New York and um, in the long ago times when there weren't that many channels on TV and, you know, you had to use a dial to turn it to find the next channel. And there was a channel, Channel 9, that ran a lot of um, like older movies or like imported movies Um, and um I'm so sorry. I can you hear that leaf blower? No, okay. no. You're good. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, and there were a lot of um god they ran a lot of Godzilla movies. They ran a lot of black and white films and I remember seeing um some samurai film at, on at that channel at different times of the day. I don't remember specific films. The film that I probably fell in love with first as an adult and I think this is fairly obvious is Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. Um, it's not really necessarily the easiest one to fall in love with first because it's like a four hour epic. But um, I loved Toshiro Mufune in that film. Um, I loved everything about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that really started... Um, kind of yeah like a an affection and obsession i love 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 samurai films
1: mm-hmm. i it's interesting the reason i asked like when you first discovered this cuz i think especially for the types of pop culture we all ingest i do think there's like these seeds of it that are dropped when we are very very young like i remember weirdly my best friend his name was kurt he and i his dad was in our minds like big and scary he was probably like five foot ten but when you're six right. years, everyone looks giant and he would work he worked at the um like steel factory like it he works like long card hours and so when he had to watch us he was like i'm gonna put you in front of a tv and you're gonna watch it and he had us watch the good the bad and the ugly mm-hmm. which for those who don't know is also like a four hour but it's a western yes in my mind, it's like nine hours, but it's I think it's four. <laughs> and like I watched the whole, we watched like the whole thing as six year olds because we're like afraid to move because we didn't want to upset them. <laughs> and now i like, I am absolutely drawn towards like long, epic-y, like western-y type movies. And it, it's like, I don't know, I feel like that is very much stuck in my brain. It's like, do you remember how old you were when you first started seeing these when you were watching these movies in the like you said the kind of channel that would have these which also is rare to have a channel like that
0: well I mean it was just it was like a local channel that just ran I think random things that they could get a hold of I don't think it was like any kind of concerted programming I think they were just like We paid some money for this thing and now we're just going to stick it on here. Um, You know, I was a child, probably like between six and ten, I would say, when I first saw a lot of those movies. Um, It's funny that you mentioned the good, the bad, the ugly, though, because I'd be very remiss if I didn't tell this story. Um, So my absolute number one all time favorite samurai film is Yojimbo, Mm -hmm. starring Toshiro Mufune. Directed by Akira Kurosawa. This is a theme. And um, the film is, um, a lot of people in the West think that Yojimbo is um, a ripoff of A Fistful of Dollars Mm -hmm. by Sergio Leone. But in fact, it is the other way around. (laughs) Um, And I read a biography, a joint biography of Mifune and Kurosawa several years ago. And the story of how Fistful of Dollars came to be is actually in that biography. And what happened was Yojimbo came out, Leone saw it, he was a huge fan of the movie. And according to people who worked with him, he literally took the film frame by frame through the Moviola machine, which is a machine where you like can look at each frame of the, mm-hmm. in the, again, in the olden days when we had film instead of digital. And he made Fistful of Dollars uh, functionally a shot-for-shot remake of Yojimbo. And um, Kurosawa saw the film and he sent Leone a letter. And he said, you have made a very fine film. But it is my film mm-hmm. and basically telling Leone off for for copying his movie without giving him credit. And Leone was just so happy to get a letter from Kurosawa. He ran around showing it to everybody. It's like, look, look, I got a letter from the master.
1: <laughs> look, I played your eyes. Look how I played your eyes so good that they noticed. <laughs> oh man that's so funny
0: (laughs) i know i know it's just insane it's insane and it's also like somewhat infuriating to me that people i mean obviously it makes sense right fistful dollars is in english Mm -hmm. it's a movie that's just more familiar to a lot of people but yojimbo is such a masterpiece Mm -hmm. of everything everything about it is perfect Mifune is perfect in it. Mm-hmm. Nakadai, Tetsuya Nakadai, um, plays Inosuke. He's perfect. Um, the direction is perfect. The cinematography is perfect. The music is perfect. Everything is perfect. It's a perfect movie.
1: So what is it about samurai movie? Like, Is there something specific about either the pacing or the... Um, like balance and dichotomy of like action and emotion. Like, is there something about samurai movies that like scratches that itch for you that why you keep going back to them?
0: I think it's funny because I don't necessarily think I'm always drawn to the most action-packed ones. Although I do like um, the Zatoichi films, the Blind Swordsman films, those mm-hmm. are, those totally have a formula. You know, where this character is Atuichi, what it sounds like, he's a blind swordsman. He goes from town to town. He's a former Yakuza who's now supposedly a masseuse. But then he, you know, acts in service of the oppressed. Um, the The thing I really like about this, I feel like the samurai films that I really love the best, like Yojimbo, um Like Harakiri, which is um, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, um, are really, are more subversive in tone. Mm. Um, So they kind of are, they work within the tropes to a certain extent, but they also defy the tropes. Um, Yojimbo is about a ronin. He's a masterless samurai. He's this guy who wanders from town to town. Everything about him is scruffy, you know. Um, Yojimbo means bodyguard. The character's name is Sanjuro. And he's very, very... He has his own code. He has his own way of doing things. In Yojimbo, he comes into this town. The town is basically being run by two rival gangs who are supported by the money of, like, two businessmen in the area. He decides the way to clean up the town for the few innocents that remain is to basically incite a war between them and, you know, to make them take each other out. And he doesn't really want money for this, and he doesn't want credit either. He just feels, according to his own code, Mm -hmm. that this is something that should be done. In Harakiri, um, it's basically a story of revenge where a father gets revenge on um, a group of samurai who forced his son to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, sort of, the group had done it supposedly in the name of honor, and he shows them how dishonorable they are. So really, it's not exactly an action-packed movie. It's quite dramatic, but... Um, this underlying theme of like what a samurai should be kind of runs through the the film, but obviously the one who really is a samurai is this father,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: and his sense of honor and his sense of justice for his son. So those are the kinds of movies I think that I really connect to, the ones that sort of take the tropes and they subvert them a little bit, although it is always fun just to watch a sword fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I know what you mean. Like, I, I do think... Like I, I am drawn, like I said, I, I, it's not just Westerns. I, I am drawn to all sorts of movies, but I do, I, I know what you mean. Like thinking about Westerns, like, um, like Rooster Cogburn is this mm-hmm. very famous Western character. And it's like, same thing. It's like, initially he is the very stereotypical, like old kind of scruffy codger of a cowboy. And, you know, he ends up being much, much more than that. And like, I think, like you said, it, if it was always, obviously there are, you, we mentioned horror movies at the beginning. Every single genre has movies that are just flat out the tropes and like people are going to watch them because of face value. Like you said, they're entertaining. You can always watch a sword fight. But I do love the idea of stories that are in a certain genre, but like you said, there's there's so much more than that. and I, I want to ask, like, do you think that type of interest that you're drawn to also, kind of bleeds into how you write your own stories,
0: I mean, I think so. Uh, I think that my instinct is always to do the opposite of what people expect. Mm-hmm. and i I do think that the overwhelmingly the response I get to my work is I didn't expect that. I didn't think it was going to be like that. um and, you know, I you know, I am I think it's very hard um, now as a reader, as a writer, as a viewer, whatever, to not be aware of what's come before you culturally. You know, I think that, and I think that, um, readers are also aware of like what they expect. You know, if you read a cozy mystery, you know, you're going to get certain cozy mystery tropes, right? You know, certain things are going to happen a certain way, And a lot of people come to that genre for that. I read a lot of Cozy Mysteries and because when I'm in the mood for something like that, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. But I've always tried in my own work, I think to do something a little bit different to not be so easily pinned down. And I'll tell you that my publishers don't always love it because they're, (laughs) they're always like, well, how are we supposed to market this? thing that you've written that is not exactly one thing but um i i don't think for me as a writer it's not interesting mm-hmm. to do the same thing every time
1: yeah i and i i love that i mean i i totally agree like i think what i love about your books like i'm thinking of near the bone just because it's like jumps the top of my head because again we just got done with October which is when I would read near the bone and like that is a book where if someone would be like well what should I expect I would be like don't ask me what you should expect (laughs) start reading it and hold your breath for the entirety of the book and like yeah to me I don't know I think like if people say like oh what is a Christina Henry book like to me it's like it's an interesting story that you won't expect and like to me that is a I mean I'm a reader I'm not a Publisher, but like that's marketable to me. It's like, <laughs> you, like I don't know, I that stuff I, I absolutely love, and like I want to ask about your. We were laughing before we started recording. How you said like you don't have a strong pitch for a good girl. Don't die yet, but like, yeah, was this the type of book we can do a very high level explanation of? What is but like was this the type of book where when you pitched it to your editors they were like, um, what do we do with this or did they kind of buy in right away?
0: So. I wrote the I wrote the book fully before I submitted it, which mm-hmm. I don't usually do because you know, I've been writing for a long time, and you know when you with one publisher, you usually pitch out an idea and you know you send them kind of like a sample, um like usually the first three chapters or something. but um the impulse for this book actually came from funnily enough, I was just talking about cozy mysteries. I was reading a lot of cozy mysteries excited kind of about the height of the pandemic, like really comfort food reading for sure. Mm-hmm. And my brain just started to break it down, like kind of the way that cozy mystery functions. And I was like, I wonder if I could write one of these. So I started to write, <laughs> and almost immediately, it took a left turn and something else happened. And um, I just felt that I wanted to be alone with the book. Like when I was writing it, I didn't want my agent or my editor saying, you know, when is it coming or how will we sell this or whatever? I just wanted to kind of be alone with this weird idea that I had and see how it played out. And um, it was a lot of fun to write because, and I feel in some ways that I really enjoyed that process. Um, almost more than any other book I've written because it was just for me. It was just Mm -hmm. this weird book that I was writing for me. And so then I finished it. I sent it to my agent and I said, I have no idea how to describe this to you. Just read it. And so she read it and she said, I had no idea where this book was going, which was a really great compliment because she's been in this business for 30 years. So if you can get your agent you know to not know where the book is going that's a good thing so she sent it to my editor and she said to my editor I don't want to tell you anything about this book just read it <laughs> so I think that that's kind of how um I've been telling people who ask me about it like just read it
1: Hi. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, I love that. First off, I can't, I was laughing when you we were, I tend to like meet myself to laugh because you are we like, I started writing a cozy mystery <laughs> and knowing the book. I'm like, the fact that that was where your mind started, like, I wonder if I can do this. And then what it turned out to be makes me laugh. Very, very hard. For For people who, who don't know, we're recording this before the book comes out. Like, do you have like the highest level pitch that you can explain? Because like I said, I, I agree with you. Like if I was to tell someone, hey, this is a book you should read in there and they would ask me what's it about. I'd be like, just read it similar to near the bone, but like if you were going to describe it, how would you describe it?
0: So I think I've got it broken down to three women are trapped inside stories they know aren't their own. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. honestly, that's a really good way to describe it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: with this, like starting from a cozy mystery, I guess what, Because I love this like I said, this the second I saw that as like the initial pitch, it's like there's these three they're trapped inside these stories, and they are not their own stories. I was like, oh my gosh, what a genius idea. So I guess, like did you you said you knew you wanted to try and write a cozy mystery, but like at what point did it unfurl in your mind to say, like, oh, you know, like how far in were you when, when you realized like, oh, I want to do, I want to subvert this, like we were talking about before.
0: Like three or four pages, like yeah. it was almost immediate. I was like, oh, oh no, this isn't at all what I thought it was. And um, I mean, the opening of the book is this opening that I started with, like mm-hmm. nothing changed. So if you read the book, you'll realize like, you know, pretty quickly, something's off kilter. And I, I just think. My like i said i I feel like I have something contrary in me. My impulse is mm-hmm. always to to do the opposite of what people expect. and you know, I hope that people go with me
1: mm-hmm. on
0: that. I hope that they kind of like get in that kind of free falling spirit and say, I don't really know where this is going, but you know, um, I hope she pulls the parachute before the end <laughs> yeah. i mean i I would think.
1: Especially for readers who have read other books of yours, I will hope that they understand, be like, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to trust Christina with this story. That's certainly how I I felt about it. We people are obviously, were obviously picking up, like, we're being so light on the plot because it yeah. is books where we really want, like, you want to go in somewhat blind. Um, along those lines, like going into it blind, do you, to get back to like your thoughts on movies, do you go into movies blind?
0: I do. I don't. Um, I don't read reviews. Uh, I'm not interested in anyone else's opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like previews. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I heard a a great phrase a long time ago um, about expectations and uh, expectations are resentments under construction. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, you know what, that's true. So I try not to expect anything, mm-hmm. even if I've seen a certain thing in a preview or whatever. I mean, a lot of times I'll pick up a book and if it's an author that I know, mm-hmm. I won't even read the back cover copy. I'll just get the book and read it because I, you know, I don't want to have any expectation about how things are going to play out. Mm-hmm. Um, And I try to be very, very open when I'm watching a movie or when I'm reading a book um, because a piece of art isn't meant to be viewed in like a three-minute trailer Mm -hmm. or in a back cover copy. I don't think you can make any decisions based on that. Um, It's meant to be seen as a whole product. That's one of the reasons why I still like to go to the movies when mm-hmm. possible because when you're at the movies you're giving the movie your full attention you're seeing it the way the filmmaker meant you to see it um, I still go to see a lot of older movies at at the movie theater you know we have um, I have a theater near me called the Music Box Theater and they run a lot of independent film and like older movies and mm-hmm. you know I'll go see a movie that I've seen a hundred times just to mm-hmm. see it on the big screen and give it all of my attention you know
1: I, that's super interesting. What is, um, can you think off the top of your head, like your favorite movie going experience for one of those older movies?
0: Um, I think there's a couple for different reasons. Um, several years ago, I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre there. Hmm. And if you grew up in the eighties, you only ever saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on a tiny TV, Uh, Yeah, you know, on video. Um, which I do cherish the video experience, but um, it's not necessarily the best thing in the world in terms of seeing a film. But seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time on a big screen, in the dark, you know, where again, where you're giving 100% of your attention to it, it was literally a different movie Mm. from the movie that I had grown up watching. Um, And so much more powerful i think because especially horror movies when you watch them in the theater and you're feeling everyone else's tension yeah. as well as your own you know um it's such a great experience um on that same note um i saw baba hotep which is one of my favorite movies directed by don Coscarelli. Mm-hmm. When it first came out, I actually saw it at um, a theater here in Chicago, and Bruce Campbell came um, yeah. Yeah. with the film to like did a little Q and A, um, and it was really really cool. And then this was like before he became Bruce Campbell, like convention yeah. guy. So after the film, he was just kind of standing out on the sidewalk talking to people. It was like really cool, like very casual. Um, but then. About, I guess it's got to be three or four years ago now. Don Coscarelli came here Mm -hmm. and showed Baba Hotep at the Music Box Theater. And um, he was promoting his biography, his -hmm. autobiography that he'd just written. And my son was old enough to go to the film with us, which was great because he got to see it for the first time on the big screen the way my husband and I had so many years before. And he got to meet Don Coscarelli, who he thought was the coolest guy. And he ran to the the microphone to ask a question to be the first one to ask a question um, during the Q and A. So that was like really, really special, just because it was a film that I loved and um, a director that I loved, and my son got to be a part of it. So there was that. And then recently, um, got to see Sorcerer william friedkin's movie i don't know if you're familiar with it or not no, um most people i think know Friedkin for like french connection and the exorcist and yeah that's it so sorcerer is this movie that he did after the exorcist and it's based on a book and now the name of the book has just escaped me at this moment but um it's about a bunch of men who've committed different kinds of crimes in different places who end up in South America in this obscure little village working for this oil company and they need to go and get nitroglycerin Mm. and carry it across the jungle, which as you know, nitroglycerin is very, very unstable. So it's a very, very tense movie because these men are driving these trucks with like crates of nitroglycerin In the back through jungle and like the most ridiculous, you know, set of obstacles coming Mm -hmm. up in their way. Um, Such a good movie, like so much tension. And again, this is one of those things where seeing it on the big screen, I think, makes such a difference. You're so wholly engaged in this struggle that you almost forget that all of these men are not good guys.
1: <laughs> I I keep laughing about, like, we were talking about the, you know, how these films are meant to be seen. And there's all this, you know, dialogue, especially now, like, I mean, obviously TVs that we have now are gigantic, but there's all these, like, this dialogue where all these directors are constantly, like, like Christopher Nolan is like, one of the most famous ones. Like, you know, you have to see the movie in this specific way. And, like, I agree with you. It is a, diff- a different experience. But the reason I'm laughing is because, I know that directors are saying that now because, like, so many people will watch it on their phones or their tablets, whatever. But, like, the reason I was laughing is I was thinking back to when you mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I remember Friday the 13th nights, like, watching with my my friend Kurt. Like, you know, we had those same thing, those local channels where it would be, like, hosted by a generic local person. And we would be watching these, the the Jason movies, the Friday the 13th movies on this, like you know, eight by eight TV. Cause when I, I was born in the mid eighties, like I was growing up in the mid nineties. So my TVs were like very small still. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same. It's like, I feel like it's been the same thing forever where it's like, yeah, this, I've probably seen some of these movies hundreds of times, but I haven't ever seen them. Like I've never seen a Hitchcock movie on a big screen. I've only (gasps) ever seen them.
0: Oh, you should, you should. If you have a chance, you should um because yeah. it's this it is that thing like um my favorite Hitchcock movie is Rear Window mm-hmm. and that's a movie i mean i've memorized that movie i've watched it so many times yeah. you know but seeing it on the big screen is just this incredible experience i do think you know it kind of did, it, it kind of depends like what's around you, right? Like I'm in Chicago. We have mm-hmm. a lot of theaters here. We have a lot of theaters that show older films. The two closest theaters to my house are Music Box, which shows older film. They also do a 35 millimeter um, festival every year. They actually have people who still know how to operate like the uh-huh. 35 millimeter projector projectors. And they also do 70 millimeter films there. And then the other theater that's closest to me is Alamo Draft House, which shows a lot of older films too so as well as new films so i feel like obviously it kind of depends on what kind of access you have but if you have the opportunity it really is transformative sometimes even just to see the picture the size that the director yeah. intended it to be.
1: that's <laughs> like i i mentioned westerns earlier when i growing up my um my grandmother had dementia and like we would go and visit her and like it seemed to bring her peace to watch westerns or just like turner classic movies and so like i remember on her very small tv when i was younger like seeing the movie shane and like Mm. like yeah like it looks nice on a small tv but like there's these huge what are supposed to be sweeping landscapes that are supposed to feel make you feel a certain way especially like at the end of the movie there's a little kid yelling the name Shane over and over waiting for this person to come back. And on a small screen, you're just like, OK, well, what's uh, what's coming on next? Whereas, like you said, like on a big screen with like surround sound, it's like enveloping you like you would feel the things that you're supposed to be feeling. So I know what you mean.
0: You know the you were talking about Nolan, we. um We saw Dunkirk, my husband and I saw Dunkirk when it first came out
1: Mm -hmm.
0: on the big screen. And then um, in the intervening years, our son got older and older and we watched different Nolan films with him. And but we never let him watch Dunkirk. And he kept saying, why? And I'm like, because when we saw it in the theater, the sound was so percussive, like you could feel it in your chest And I really felt like that was part of the experience. So we got very lucky. And this year, the Alamo Drafthouse did a Nolan Festival right before Oppenheimer came out. And they showed Dunkirk. I was like, okay, we're going like you're going to see it. And now you'll know how it's meant to be heard as well as seen. Right. It's not just what you're seeing. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the sound of the movie. The way at the beginning of the film when they're walking through the village and those shots just start going off like you can feel them.
1: Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. Like the the entire movie going. Oh, now all I want to do is go watch old movies. <laughs> movie there. I, which speaking of, I've done a very good job not saying this, but I can see the bottom like fifth of a what looks like an iron giant poster behind you, no one else gonna see this. It is an iron giant poster. <laughs> oh, I literally like saw that when we first started recording. I was like, and then when you mentioned movies, I was like, I feel like I can't not reference it, but I was staring at it like the whole time. But no, that's all I want to do now is go watch old movies.
0: So what's behind me, like directly behind me, I realize this is an audio format, but I have a thing poster. I have <laughs> Toshiro Mufune and Yojimbo. There's Iron Giant. There's a Isla Nublar. Oh, that's amazing! Um, um, and directly behind me is Old Boy. Yeah,
1: these are so, great. Where did you get these? Are they were they like? Just...
0: So some of them I got at um, comic conventions. Mm-hmm. Um, the Old Boy poster I actually got from the Alamo Draft House when they did the anniversary re-release of Old Boy earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, when I we'd actually gone to see a different film, I had my tickets to see Old Boy the following week, and I walked out. And on the counter, they had the old boy poster sheets, and I was like, "Can I have one?" <laughs> and they were like, "Yes, they're for people to take." <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Um, okay, I, I have one last question for you. Obviously, people like I said, we were very light on talking about "Good Girls Don't Die." In the intro, I will have, I will have hyped it up a whole bunch because I people really need to read it. But obviously, we we before we started recording, we were both like, "We're not going to talk about the plot a lot." Mm-hmm. Um, but my last question, I, I always ask people. For a recommendation of any kind, it can be a book. You can also recommend a movie since I've just spent, you know, a half hour talking about movies. But what is something you want to recommend to my listeners that you think they should know more about?
0: Can I recommend two things? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So for a book, I think my favorite book that I read recently was Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. Hmm. I thought that book was amazing. And for a film, obviously, I want everyone to stop what they're doing and go watch Yojimbo.
1: Perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Christina, I told you before I started recording, for people who may remember this, I we got to talk a couple of times during the pandemic when I was doing my previous podcast. I was so excited to see your name again. And the book does not disappoint. This was so wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Fashions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell.